Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You can't build a league around C-list players. You just Nobody's going to care. And... Uh, you know, whether Phil's comments made the whole thing so toxic that Dustin and Bryson had a change of heart, or maybe they've been, they've, they were, they were always on the fence and this helped nudge them, or maybe they'd already signed and, and they somehow said, oh, screw it, man, this is terrible. This, you know, Phil talked me into it and he was, he was seduced me and Phil was my guy. And this is how he feels like now I'm dead. You know, this will all get revealed in time. We don't have those answers yet, but it does feel like as of this moment, the Saudi golf league is dead and, you know, Phil helped write the obituary for sure. Put another log on the fire. Nobody here is getting tired. Welcome to the fire pit with Matt Janella. All right, so many of you know by now, a fire pit podcast is one story told by multiple voices or perspectives, reflections. In this case, and like a few others, we're kind of referring to them as fire drills, fire pit employees and special guests getting together, talking about breaking news, see Phil's win at the PGA, or in this case, see Phil doing what Phil does best, which is be the smartest one in the room. Or in this case, be the smartest one on the phone. <laughs> the guy he was talking to on the other end of the phone was Alan Shipnuck, who joins me now to talk about uh, what has become uh, the story in golf for the last several days, which is the fact that Phil uh, has been officially revealed to using the Saudi golf league and this proposed breakaway league as leverage to try to get what, you know, he wants or improvements to the general tour on behalf of the players, or, you know, I don't know, Alan, <laughs> what, what exactly was the motive here? Yeah, it's layered for sure. And, I will say um, to some degree, I'm a little surprised that this has gone around the world the way it has, because I'm getting notifications from websites that are in uh, Italian, French, Arabic, German, uh, Portuguese, people, it's just story has, has touched such a nerve. But to me, it was kind of obvious all along that Phil was working both sides of the street and that he was trying to create this bidding war for services between the PJ Tour uh, and and the Saudi Golf League. Now the tour can't pay him directly, but they they could acquiesce to some of his long-standing demands, uh, which they have done, and therefore they're paying him indirectly. Um, I guess because he said the quiet parts out loud, that's what was surprising. And in in a world of uh, bullshittery, for him to be so blunt and to just say it <laughs> as raw and uncensored as he did, it, it's it was pretty eye-catching and it did reveal, and again, it, it depends how you look at it. You could respect the candor, right? Uh, you know, other guys go to Saudi Arabia and they talk about growing the game, which is a joke. The game is not growing in Saudi Arabia. It's a freaking desert. 
and there's 40 million people in two golf courses, whatever the numbers are, like no one's trying to grow the game in Saudi Arabia. They're just going to uh, take a check. Um, so it, to me, it was a little refreshing that Phil was honest, but it also, it was sort of morally bankrupt for him to say, you know, I know there are bad actors and they've done all these horrible things, but I don't care because I'm just using it as a, as a, as a bargaining chip. And that obviously rubs some people the wrong way. Uh, so, you know, to what is, what is Phil's end game here? We're going to find out shortly, but ultimately I think the reason he, he told me what he told me is he wanted the, his real true inner feelings to be revealed and he wanted on record that he, he knows the Saudis are bad actors and that it's just business. It's not personal. You know, this is just something he felt he had to do to make life better for everyone on the PGA tour. And it was important for him, uh, you know, for golf fans to know he's just gaming the system and yes, he is the smartest guy in the room. And, but of course he did sort of outsmart himself on this one because he badly underestimated the kind of backlash that would be created. And now it looks like the whole, Whole, the whole enterprise is crumbling but again maybe that's what phil wanted i mean he said to me i'm not sure he even want to succeed you know uh he's he's gotten a lot of the concessions he wanted and now this gives him an easy way to walk away um, because the money was getting so big and he was so deeply invested in the creation of the league and everything else it was going to be hard and he's helped sell it to other players it was going to be hard for him not to take the plunge right like he he'd sort of painted himself into a corner so if it goes away he's like great i get to stay on the pj tour i got most of what i wanted my reputation took a little hit, but you know, it's not the first time and his fans always seem to come back to him. So it's, it's a, it's a fascinating episode in a career full of controversy and uh, people talking about how it's going to affect his legacy. We'll see, but you know, Phil, Phil's been down this road before. I mean, he's taken plenty of bullets and he just keeps going. Uh, but th at this moment, it, this, this feels like, like a, he's at a big fork in the road. My gosh, I mean, I, I, I like to talk about how, what an incredible reporter you are, what a great interview you are. You, you're a great interview also, because one question and, and it, it, you, 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 you answered, you, you have a lot of answers. Yeah, my uh, bad, my bad. I just, I just, I just <laughs> skipped ahead to like four different talking points. Let's pull, let's pull a few of these things apart for a second before yeah. we get to the end game and his legacy and all <laughs> I, I mean, did this story, you know, I know you're not going to be the one to say, oh, you killed the Saudi golf league, but did this story, did the truth, did Phil's truth in Phil's words actually put such a puncture in this, you know, uh, dysfunctional tire that they can't, it can't, it can't be driven anymore. It sure feels that way. You know, today on Sunday, February 20th, you know, both Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau um, put out statements, highly unusual on a Sunday at a marquee tournament where the tour is going to, you know, essentially trumpet the, the words of, of some players who uh, are not in contention or, or are not factors in the tournament, right? But they, um, they both renounced the Saudis. And those were two of the biggest names linked to the whole thing. Now, everyone has been in constant negotiations and the only, the only winners in all this are the lawyers with the billable hours, right? Because there's, and the agents, there's been so much deal-making going on behind the scenes. So whether Dustin and Bryson were actually going to jump or how close they were, not many people know that, but uh, for sure they were 
they were being wooed and they were thinking about it. We know that for certain. So uh, you take them out of the mix and all the other players this week uh, at the LA Open who probably with some prodding from Jay Monahan, got in front of a microphone and said, you know, my allegiances or my fealty, my, my new favorite word, are with the PGA Tour. Um, you know, who's left? <laughs> you know, Dustin Johnson is still, a, could be a dominant force of the game. Bryson moves the needle like few others. Uh, they would be important pieces in this. Now you're left with what, Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood, who are both heading to the senior tour soon. I mean, Phil's still a star, but, uh, you know, the PGA Championship was only top 10 of the year, and who knows what he has left in the tank. It can't be that much. Um, you know, you needed Bryson, you needed Dustin's star power. You take that away, Jason Kokrak. I mean, uh, some of these other, you know, I mean, come on. Like, uh, so... I think that unless unless the the boys uh, in Saudi Arabia have some real tricks up their sleeve and somehow um, they're going to get someone to change their mind, and I guess we all have a price, but it seems like the players who are now out, it's just it's just too much star power gone. I mean, you can't you can't build a league around C list players. You just nobody's going to care, and. Uh, you know whether Phil's comments made the whole thing so toxic that. Dustin and Bryson had a change of heart, or maybe they've been, they, they were, they were always on the fence and this helped nudge them, or maybe they'd already signed and, and they somehow said, oh, screw it, man, this is terrible. This, you know, Phil talked me into it and he was, he was seduced me and Phil was my guy. And this is how he feels like now I'm dead. You know, this will all get revealed in time. We don't have those answers yet, but it does feel like as of this moment, the Saudi golf league is dead and, you know, Phil helped write the obituary for sure. So, again, we, we, we got a lot to get to here, um, but let's go back now for a second and talk about the actual interview itself, about the actual phone call. You're doing an unauthorized biography on Phil Mickelson. He wasn't talking to you. A lot of people in his camp weren't talking to you. You were doing your due diligence and your, your intrepid reporting for months, um, over a year your career essentially <laughs> how, oh, yeah, did, no, how this, did the actual I mean, call come about you know i say this book has been 30 years in the making you know my first year covering the tour was 1994 that was phil's second full season and i've been tracking him the whole time you know he was instantly one of the most important players in golf and maybe the most interesting certainly one of the most controversial and i've always been drawn to phil um you know i'm not one of his i'm not one of his guys i mean there are a lot of reporters who have played recreational rounds of golf with him, or they've gone out to long discursive dinners. And, you know, I've done neither. Um, you know, there's always been a little weariness between Phil and I, I that's served me well because it, it makes me a little more clear eyed and I, I can see things a little more perspective and I can write about it a little more honestly, because I'm not trying to protect some quasi friendship like some of these other guys, but um, you know, I've always loved writing about Phil and you know, love him or hate him. He's never boring. And I've been on the ground for his greatest victories and his most crushing defeats. And I've, I've had a lot of access to him through the years. I've been to his house. We've, we've dined at his club. Um, after he won the Claret Jug, I sneaked into the victory party and I was drinking champagne with him and Amy. Um, you know, charity of things that, that were not public. I crashed and we hung out in the manager's office at this Target munching on donuts. And so I've been around Phil a lot. And I have a lot of insight. So 
I didn't need him for this book. Of course I wanted him. So I approached him three separate times, face to face, asked him if, if he would sit for interviews and he thought about it and he went back and forth and ultimately he declined, which is his prerogative. Um, he was very worried. He didn't want it to appear as an author, as if it was a thrice biography, uh, which, you know, I told this to Nicholas Palmer, dozens of biographies have been written about those guys. They had, they got no money and they had no editorial control. They weren't authorized per se, but they still sat with the writers because they felt there was value in telling their side of every story and, and burnishing their own legend. And I encouraged Phil to do the same, but, um, you know, he, he didn't go, he didn't go down that road, which was fine. But I guess in October of 21, um, you know, he texted me and I guess no, it would have been November of 21. He texted me and said, he, you know, he wanted to talk about the tour and media rights and NFTs and, and related issues. And would, could we have a conversation? I said, yeah, sure. I mean, obviously those, those are not the sexiest topics. If, if I made a list of what I wanted to interview Phil about for the book, they wouldn't even be in the top 10, but uh, he said he didn't want to talk about anything else. He just wanted to talk about those things. And I said, okay, fine. So he, he called me up and it was actually, I was driving home from the wishbone brawl. It was that Sunday after the brawl after Thanksgiving. And that's, that's when we had this, this, this conversation. Um, it, it's a really important point. I'm a biographer working on a book. He's asked to speak. Every single thing he says to me is going in the book, unless we agree expressly that it's not. And if he wants to set some ground rules and if he wanted to go off of the record, I would have pushed back really hard because this was my one chance to talk to him. But he never asked to go off the record. He never said it, it was on background. He never said this is just between me and you or, or, or tried to intimate anything like that. Um, whether in the text beforehand and when we got on the phone, he just started talking. At that point, it is an on-the-record interview with a biographer. Uh, there's, that's not even in question. I think every other writer on, in the world would have the same attitude. And so he, he just starts talking and he says all these amazing things. And, you know, he, we had discussed that, you know, the timeline for the book is coming out in May. And as, as this whole thing has played out, I really think Phil wanted his innermost feelings to be recorded. And he wanted, you know, me and therefore my readers to know how he really felt, which is he recognizes the Saudis are bad guys and they're bad actors. And, and there's a discomfort dealing with them, which he hasn't said publicly at all. But uh, at the same time, this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to reshape the PGA Tour and he couldn't let it go by. And so, uh, again, you know, he's, Phil rarely opens his mouth without an agenda and he's always working in the edge and an angle. And so for him not to go on or off the record or, or, or do anything like that, I think that was a calculated decision because now he can go back to the guys in Saudi Arabia and say, you know, oh, I was misquoted. It was taken out of context. He can tell him whatever he wants in private to try and, you know, to try and spin it his way. But he's now on record as not really ever being totally on board. And so if this whole thing goes away, he can be like, ah, eh, you know, I, I didn't want to go anyway. That's what I told Alan. And, and I was just using it for leverage and I won, you know, I got, I got the NFT platform for the tour. A hundred million dollars is getting poured back into the players. I won the pip. He's like, I won, you know, he, he was able, it was, uh, it becomes revisionist history. And if it come out in May, you know, this whole thing would have been done and dusted because everything we heard and every indication from, from players and agents I've talked to is that there was going to be an announcement in March, the week of the players championship, that, that the Saudi golf league was a go that they'd signed 20 players and this was happening. Um, 
And so if the book comes out two months later, everything's settled, but Phil still gets to tell golf fans with a wink, like, okay, you know, I signed with them, but it was just business. You know, I, I, I really, I, I know what's going on here. And um, because things were moving so fast with, with Saudi Arabia and the book is not coming out till May, you know, publishing is still an old fashioned industry. And believe it or not, there's a paper and a glue shortage in the publishing world. And it's affecting the ability to print books. I mean, you know, it's, you think we're in the 18th century, but this is happening in 2022. We all know about the dreaded supply chain issues. And so there's not much flexibility in, in changing your dates because there's only a finite amount of paper and freaking glue to go around. And so uh, there's not the ability to move the, the book's release date up. Um, you could release a digital copy, you know, weeks or months ahead, but publishers don't want to do that. They want, you, they want people to buy the books, you know, and they, um, and they're happy to sell the digital copies to other folks, but it's this two different book buying publics, those who want to hold in their hand and those who want the digital copy, and they don't want to lose the people who still like a physical book. So um, knowing all that, and that this, the Saudi Arabia stuff, which is so juicy, was perishable because if and when Phil makes his decision and everything goes public, the intrigue is lost and the, um, a lot of what I had becomes kind of obsolete. And so you know, and talking to you, Matt, and other, other, the brain trust of the collective, and going back to Simon Schuster, we just realized, like, now's the time. This is the hottest topic in golf. It's coming to a boil. It's time to drop what we have in the book and get it out there now. And, and so we did. Now, you know, the, the timing was probably not convenient for Phil, but my allegiance is not to Phil. It's to the readers. It's to the truth. And this was the moment. And so uh, you would usually not do an excerpt, you know, three months ahead of publication. It's early for that, but it, it really didn't matter in this case. You know, I'm, I'm not Bob Woodward who's going to sit on something for a year that's, that has tremendous news value, but he just wants to sell more books, like, you know, around the time of publication. Like this, this was the moment to drop this because it advanced the conversation in a really interesting and important way. And so um, that's what we did. I mean, one could argue that actually this was, and you've touched upon it already, this was the time to drop it for Phil. This was the perfect time for Phil because he's not he hasn't committed to that league, because the truth came out about how he actually knows the truth about who he's potentially getting in bed with in both Greg Norman and the Saudi Golf League, by the way. And, and, and he can still... And... Look at what look at what has been accomplished with more pit money, more FedEx money, more uh, players championship money, no wraparound season eventually, you know, um, so many, you know, a, a baseline, you know, dollar figure that's attributed to having a PGA tour. Various things have been put in place that yeah. if those were his ambitions, whatever percentage of what he wanted to have accomplished it's got to be a pretty high percentage of what got done. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how Phil's going to have to spin it is I won. I won, you know, I got the tour to do, to make all these concessions. Other conversations are ongoing still. And he got out the fact that this tour sitting on $800 million. The last yeah. thing that's remaining are these individual, you know, rights yeah. and, and, and control and over a brand. And that's, that's an uphill battle because even in the other sports leagues, the athletes don't have that. I mean, they're, the NBA is selling NFTs of its players, but, you know, five, basically 5% goes to the players 
it's not, they, it's not like LeBron James owns his own likeness and can sell his own NFTs, which is you know what Phil wants. But if you were to get that, it would be a monumental shift in the sports landscape. Now it's fine to ask for it and to push for it, but I don't think he's going to get it. And so, you know, he's already making, he's already had some important victories. At least they established the NFT platform, and you know, there's a hundred million dollars going to the players this year because of Phil, largely. Uh, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to make it like that. Um, you know, the purses went up 60 million. They, they, doubled, they basically have doubled the FET, the, the player's championship person in, in four years. It was 11 million and 18. It's going to be, now it's going to be 20 million. Um, you know, they got these spurious bonus programs. That, like the, that's been one of the frustrations with people in the golf world is that the PGA tour has not done everything they can do for, for the players. Like they, they're always holding back and they're always controlling. Well, I mean, Phil's helped crack that open. There may be a player's union that comes out of all this. So he's going to, that's his only move now is just to declare victory. Say, I never wanted to go to Saudi Arabia. Look, I told Alan that back in November and uh, I got everything I could get from the tour. And now I'm delighted to be, to be back. And uh, I can't wait to tee up the players championship, my favorite event. And, you know, Jay Monahan's my boy. And, you know, this is, life in the big leagues is every now and then you got to throw a little chin music and that's what I did. And let's play ball. You know, like that's, that's, that's how Phil has to spin it. And, you know, yeah, maybe this is the best thing that could happen for me because he, I, I think competitively, you know, he would have been fine missing out. He loves Pebble beach, right? He's won it five times. His grandfather was a caddy there. There's, there's some emotional attachment to that, but he doesn't have it with Tory Pines anymore because he hates the remodel and, He's been skipping Tory. Doesn't live in Phoenix anymore. So even though that tournament uh, was important to him at various points and he won it early in his career, I think he's kind of over it with Phoenix. I don't think there's many places that, that really move him week in, week out in the tour. So I think he would have been okay giving up the PGA Tour schedule. But, um, you know, if you, sign, if you signed on the dotted line with Saudi Golf League, you had to play every tournament. There was no flexibility. And we know that you know Phil's always loved to be a private contractor. And he'll skip U.S. Open for his kids' high school graduation, and he'll disappear for months at a time to to go on trips with Amy. And he was going to lose some of that flexibility. Now, granted, it's only you know thirteen or fourteen events they were talking about, but if they fall on anniversaries and and kids stuff, you know, you're kind of you're kind of out of luck. So, um, I, I think I think Phil, I think that was his motivation for wanting to go on record with me about his, his, what was in his heart of hearts. And he did his he, conscience. Then, How about just a it, conscience? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's giving him too much credit. Like, I mean, <laughs> but um, so I think Phil, and I always, I got the sense when we spoke, cause it was a long conversation. Like he was kind of at peace. However it played out, he was going to be fine. Like it was a win-win for him. Either he was going to get a, a monster payday from the Saudis and take a little shrapnel, but whatever. Or he was going to get his concessions and stay on the tour and be happy that way. So, uh, you know, I think in the final analysis, that's probably what's going to happen. Like, sure, he's had he's taken he's taken some bullets this week, and there's been some bitchy things written about him on the internet. Uh, but, but Phil's been engulfed in controversy plenty of times, and I think one thing he knows, and in fact, um, King and Bradley told me this in one of the interviews of the book was that, and you know, Keegan's had a few little kerfuffles over the years, nothing on the, the scale of Phil, but. Um, he said, when you're in the middle of it, it just feels like your world has ended and, and, and you're, you're never going to escape this and, and, and it's going to define your whole life. And Phil's advice was like, it's not a big deal, dude. It's going to be over in a day and no one's going to remember it. And I think Phil probably still feels that way. Like right now it's engulfed the golf world. And as you know, 
I mean, we, we get these notifications for pingbacks. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of websites around the world have cited our story and have piled on Phil. And, you know, there's an intensity to this that's unusual, but, you know, next week there'll be another story in golf. And I think Phil's just counting on that, that he's, he's, he's skated so many times and he's weathered so many storms. And uh, I, you know, I ultimately he'll still be standing when this one's over diminished in the eyes of some, but he's still the PGA championship winner and he still has his tour pension and uh, he's, he's still going to try and win that U S open this year. And I mean, Phil's life will go on. And uh, I guess the rest of us will, will go on too. I, I know a lot of the answers to these questions, obviously, because it's not like this is the first time we're talking, but I'll pretend to be the guy who, you know, essentially <laughs> bellies up next to you at a bar or sits next to you on your next <laughs> airplane. Um, have you heard from Phil or team Phil? Yeah, I got one text from him and I would, his tone was, um, he was displeased. Um, and he, he tried to sort of go down that road of, oh, I thought this was a private conversation between you and I. And uh, I shut that down really fast because, and his heart wasn't really in it anyway. Like he, he knows the truth. I, I don't know what he's going to say going forward, but he knows that this, this was an on the record conversation and it was for the book. And he never asked for any of this to be to be private. And so, you know, you can spin a lot of things, but it's hard to lie face to face to the person that, that knows the truth. Right. I mean, he can tell whatever he wants to other people, but he and I know what happened. And there's no use trying to bullshit me because I was there. And so he didn't try very hard. And uh, it was a short, pithy text. And I wrote back and um, and that's been the sum total since the story dropped. I did hear from one of his closest advisors who um, <laughs> the first thing he wrote me was great article, you know, this is in the text message, great article, you know, basically thanks for laying all the cards on the table. And then clearly he, he had talked to Phil because then he called me, he's like, well, I'm mad because Phil's mad and I don't even know why I'm mad, but I'm supposed to be mad. And then we talked it out and he's like, you know, you, you make good points and uh, it makes sense. And, you know, I still think this is going to help Phil. And <laughs> so um, it was interesting, like, uh, ebb and flow and within one day with one of the people who he really leans on for counsel and he's a, a big factor in his life so um, I think you know there's a lot of there's been a lot of discomfort uh, around Phil he's he's a maverick and he doesn't listen to anybody maybe Amy sometimes but you know he's he has various lawyers in the payroll his his agent Steve Loy I mean, they've been together since college and they, they go in on these investments. They're more like, like brothers than they are. I don't think Steve Loy can tell Phil what to do. And, um, and so even for the people in his inner circle, uh, it's probably like being the chief of staff for Donald Trump when he was the president. Like, you know, you, you're, you're there to give advice and counsel and you can try and push back to some degree, but ultimately they're going to do whatever the hell they want and you can't control it. And you're just trying to pick up the pieces. And um, so based on that one interaction I'd had with this person who's extremely close to Phil and, and helps handle his business life and his affairs. It's like, I think there's some relief. Like this was turning into a saga that was overshadowing a lot of other things. It was certainly complicating, um, you know, Phil's future in the marketplace. Cause I have heard from a, a very, uh, very well-connected source in Ponte Vedra beach that, that Workday is not going to renew their contract with Phil. Um, which, you know, these things happen, things change in the corporate world, but was that because of their discomfort with the Saudi Arabia stuff? It has, it would have to be a factor, right? I mean, we'll, we'll see when he shows up the masters, what, what logos are on his shirt, but 
that's definitely making the rounds at, um, in golf circles that, that, you know, that's one of his big endorsement partners. So, um, you know, it's, I respect Phil and that he puts his neck on the chopping block. And you talk about, to me, the classic example is the Ryder cup. You know, when, when he threw Tom Watson under a Greyhound at Glen Eagles, um, certainly he was motivated by vengeance because Watson had benched him and they'd been button heads all week about a variety of things. And there was an element of just, of, of, of personal retribution, but I do believe, and I've, and it's all laid out in the book. And this is Phil's point of view as well, because um, we were talking about it in real time as it was happening that night, that it was a calculated decision that the U.S. Ryder Cup team had gotten their teeth kicked in over and over. And there was no cohesive plan from captain to captain. There was no institutional support. And they were just making it up willy-nilly every two years. And that's, that's why they were always put in a position to fail. And he was tired of it. And the only way to create the necessary momentum for change was to sacrifice Tom Watson on the altar. And uh, I was in the room that night in that press conference, and it was the most awkward thing, probably in my reporting career. And Tom Watson had his flaws as a captain. We all know that, but he's a proud man, and it was hard to watch. But in the final analysis, that changed everything. The U.S. has now won two out of three Ryder Cups, and they're going to dominate the next decade. And everything that Phil pushed for has happened. There's more continuity in picking the captaincy. There's more buy-in from the players. The PGA of America has opened up their wallet and helped support their efforts in a whole variety of ways, which I'll de I detail in the book. We don't have to go into now. And, um, you know, Phil won. And to the benefit of every American Ryder Cupper and, and every golf fan in this country who wants the U.S. to win the Ryder Cup, um, that he took a big risk and he took a big hit. I mean, there was a lot of people who shredded Phil after that and um and deservedly you know it was it was not it was there was not the most graceful way to handle it but it created the momentum that was needed for change so I mean there's other examples of the way Phil's sort of single-handedly taken on the USGA now I don't really agree with a lot of his stances um but he's or hitting he's, a moving or hitting a moving ball <laughs> well yeah and again you know that was a that was a reflection of he'd been at war with the with with usga for years and that was and the, the setup at shinnecock crossed the line again and he wanted to highlight that now there's other ways to do it but phil makes decisions where he wants to maximize his impact he did it at glen eagles he did it at shinnecock he did it on the phone with me and you might not always agree with the direction he wants to go or the methodology but uh, he's a, he sees himself as an agent of change, and he puts it out there. And in in a world of milk toast athletes who won't say anything controversial, and they've got all the media training, and all they're thinking about is what their agent wants. I mean, I respect that Phil puts it out there, and he will take the bullets. And uh, so, I don't agree with his his positions on a lot of things. And you can you can Monday morning quarterback the way he goes about it, but. Uh, you know, Phil is not afraid to try and affect change. And he certainly has done that in a variety of ways on the Saudi Arabia issue. It seems in, in the moment he's kind of set himself on fire, but, uh, you know, he's getting a lot of what he wants. And ultimately, uh, we'll see how it plays out in the coming weeks. But, uh, you know, again, the guy loves to stir the pot. And that's good for those of us in the typing game. And 
as as if you follow golf, it's a lot more interesting when, when Phil's involved. I'll just put it, I'll leave it like that. Has he been suspended, do you think? I don't think so. Um, because that would sort of that would prove his point that the tour is that they're a bunch of ogres and that they they don't have their the best interests of the players at heart. Um, that would just give him more ammunition and he would be going to if there were guys on the fence about the Saudi golf league, he'd be like, look, we're, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to make, you know, make this better for everybody and, and, and uh, grow the game and look what they're doing to me for growing the game. And uh, I think that'd we, give too much. We, we would have heard from him again, if that would have been the case. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I think Jay Monahan's been overmatched in a lot of this, but I don't think he would make that mistake right now. I mean, basically when, when a guy's dig his own, his own grave, don't take the shovel away. Like just let him keep going. And so I think, I think Jay's on the sideline, you know, just kind of smiling ear to ear and trying to, trying to let Phil do his thing. I mean, presumably like he's putting together a nice bouquet of flowers to send to me. I, you know, maybe some chocolates. I, you know, I think that Jay might, might want to acknowledge, but uh, I'm not going to wait for that for too long. Well, and you'd return to sender, obviously, because, um, <laughs> but the, um, but the, which this brings up another point where I saw one comment that came out. I can't tell if Alan is uh, working for the tour here or working for Phil, which, <laughs> what, or is there a, a third possibility in which you're actually not working for either? You're just reporting the truth and letting people make their own decisions about what's going on here. Like what, are we so far gone in the world of actual journalism that you in theory have to be working for one side or the other? There is no, there is no right. Woodward and yeah. Bernstein anymore. <laughs> right. Well, it's honestly, I think why I don't want to take this too far, but Phil and I have some similarities in that I'm okay. If people are mad at me also, and Sometimes I just want to put it out there and um, and so, yeah, so this, this would be a case where I don't care if Phil's mad at me. I don't care if Saudi Arabia's mad at me or Jay Monahan's mad at me. Like the people I work for are, are the readers. That's it. That's all I care about. And I want to give them something that's going to educate them, entertain them. And that's the only constituency that matters to me. I don't, I don't care if I show up at a, a tournament and, Bryson's mad at me because I just cost him a payday or Dustin's pissed off because he doesn't get to go on the prince's yacht into international waters and do whatever they do out there when he, when he's over in Saudi Arabia. Like that's not my concern. Like my concern is telling the truth and reporting things honestly. And, and as you said, let the readers decide. Um, so I'm, I try not to editorialize too much. I mean, and that's, that's the whole theme of the book as well. And I think people may, may now think like this, this is an expose to like take down Phil. That, that's not the tone of the book. I mean, I think it's actually quite balanced where I just, I just tell his story completely. And there's, there's a lot of stuff about uh, that is written with a lot of affection because Phil's a fun guy to, to be around and to cover. And he's, his heart's in the right place with the philanthropy and the random acts of kindness and the way he takes players under his wing and really helps uh, coach them up in, in a profound way. And all that's in the book too. I mean, the, what makes Phil so interesting is he's very complex and he has these warring impulses, you know, he, uh, and I just lay it all out there and it's, it's not a rip job. It's not a hagiography. It, it's just, it's, it's the story of one 
golfer who's led a really big life. And so all the great stuff's in there and we celebrate the victories and, and all his good guy virtues, but there's a lot of messiness too. And there's a lot of complicated relationships and that's all in there too, whether it's Billy Walters or it's the bust up with bones or uh, it's the Saudi episode. And, um, you know, I think I'm not telling people how to feel about Phil Mickelson. They're going to read it and they're going to decide. And I think a lot of his fans are going to love him even more because there's a lot of great stuff in there. And, and th that does, that is, has a celebratory tone and, and the people who, who have never been a Phil fan, they'll probably be galvanized too, because there's a lot of stuff in there that, that can be considered unflattering. And um, so I think that's great if, if people don't know what my true feelings are, what my motivations are, because that's not, it's not what it's about. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, it's, I'm not doing advocacy here or public relations. I mean, I'm trying to tell an honest story. What a concept. <laughs> the, um, and, and thankfully you're doing it now for the fire pit collective, which I, you know, I've kept telling people we haven't even really, really released the true strategy of who we are and what we are in terms of docu-series concepts. Obviously you're seeing some of it around the grind, uh, but we have others and we have more. And, I told people for the last, you know, really for the last eight months, you've really been embedded in the Phil book. And this is, you know, this is an excerpt from that, but you're our, our four hitter in our lineup is actually about to just be unleashed into <laughs> the world of truth. And I feel like, you know, I've always been, if not your number one fan, you know, because you have a lot of those, I'm, I'm in the conversation. And not only for your writing and reporting, but just your general, um, you know, guts <laughs> for, for your, for your thick skin and ability to just, you know, as I said, like Dan, Gen you, I, I'm not sure that I've seen many people have the kind of guts that you have, you know, like Dan Jenkins had for so long, someone that we both obviously admired um there's more excerpts coming before the actual book drop in addition to a lot more features and other pointed um editorials on your part what's what is what can we expect from this book between now and the actual release of the entire thing yeah i mean it is a delicate dance um how much of the book do you do you give you give to people before it actually comes out. Like you, you don't want them to be so sated that like, well, I don't think I need to read the book because I, I have a good sense of it, but you also want to, you want to tease them and interest them and, and give, give them enough of a taste that um, they, they feel they're intrigued. So, you know, I have to lean on Simon Schuster a little bit. They have a lot more experience in that than I do. Um, but certainly you and I are, are fired up to do podcasts around the release and there's, there's any number of different ways we can go. I mean, I think what we drop next is probably going to be, I want to capture some of the fun and the zaniness um, of, I mean, I have, there's so many laugh out loud moments in this book and so many unbelievable stories that are, um, you know, you, it's an eye roll, but, and you can't decide, is, is this guy a cartoon character? Is he ridiculous or do I like him? Is he fun? I mean, it's all, all mixed into one. So I think maybe the next drop should be something like that just so people don't, have the expectation there's just gonna be one bombshell after another but there those are you know, we have a few more we can drop around the release that i think are gonna people are gonna like lose their mind over so um finding the right balance for 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 readers that and um and you know for sure simon schuster has 
uh, they're partners with us and all of this. And so we, we have to do right by them because if it was up to you and I, we'd probably do like an excerpt every week and just give the whole book away by publication day. And that would be great for the Fire Pit Collective, but Simon Schuster would be a little bummed. So, you know, we got we to gotta find the right balance. It's good for everybody, but there's so much in this book and I, I can't wait for people to read it. Like it's actually, it's torture not to be able to put it out sooner, but uh, it's just, it's just, as discussed earlier, you never would, would drop a big excerpt this far out from publication day, but because the Saudi thing is accelerating and was, as you know, was really coming to a boil, it, it was now or never. And so we chose now as opposed to never, but um, we'll, me, you, and a few other folks will have some conversations probably when you're back from Scotland and we'll, we'll map something out, but there's more stuff coming. That's all I can say. I mean, you've read the book, Matt, it's, it's, there's there's some there's some big revelations, but there's also some some grace notes and some wonderful little, um, you know, uh, intimate moments, and there's everything in between. So we'll we'll find the right balance. I don't know what that is exactly at this moment, but we'll get there. I keep telling people it's the best of Phil and it's the worst of Phil, and both on and off the course. So it's the best of his of his wins, and you know, uh, highlight highlights of his losses and then it's the best that he does you know in philanthropic you know giving you know over tipping charity ways and then it's all the other stuff and that's you know the volatility of this of this man is 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 really to your point it's 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 it, it's why he is so interesting you know yeah. do you, in your heart of hearts, Alan, because this actually has come up a couple of times by people in the know. Do you think Phil is, do you think Phil is okay? Like, is he, I mean, no. And I mean, I don't, yeah, actually, I know, I know what you mean. I'm not saying this in a lap. Like I will tell you that I spoke to Phil recently in an interview on Tim Rosafort in which I approached him to see if he'd be a part of this Tim Rosafort tribute to Tim's life and legacy of a man who, you know, who, who died at an incredibly young age of a horrific disease like Alzheimer's. And to Phil's credit, he agreed to, to, to talk to me. And then we get, and then he says, can we do it just audio or do we want to have do Zoom? And I said, I, I'd love to have it on Zoom because then we can use social clips. And when he came on Zoom, he was hugging the PGA championship trophy. So, which was, you know, at, at first glance, it was funny. It was like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, he's, he's really running this bit. Uh, all the way through but then I was like but I'm calling to talk to you about the life and legacy of Tim Rosefort and he, he stood he stood there and did the entire interview with the PGA championship trophy in his you know like hugging it to you know and we're talking about you know Tim Rosefort who died of Alzheimer's and I'm like what there is like this this I there's this disconnect from sort of what is known to be reality and he yeah. might have he might actually be unplugged from that well for sure i mean he he's he's in a bubble inside a bubble i mean the pj tour is a bubble and when you're when you're a hall of famer and when you feel like he's it's interesting because in some ways he's very grounded like his closest friends are basically his college teammates and they they're just regular guys i mean rob mangini who's one of his closest friends he sells title insurance and they, they play golf together and he's he's kind of his 
he grounds him and he talks trash and he's, he's a sounding board for a lot of things. I mean, he, Phil does have people. It's not just all like Tiger, all his friends, he had, he had to pay to be his friends, right? Like they're all, they all work for him in some capacity. I mean, Phil does have a big circle of people in you know, different walks of life. And there's, there's a lot of guys here in Pebble beach who they played in the pro-am with him and they, they have him over for dinner that week. And, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty solid dudes. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's, there's an intensity about him and there's also, he's like an adrenaline junkie. Right. And I think that he's become so accustomed to the spotlight and to the wager and to the juice. He's, he just lives on juice, whatever that means. And it's almost like his nervous system is a little fried from that from 30 years in the spotlight and all the controversies and all the crackups on the golf course and all the adulation and all the fame and all the money. And, you know, it, it's, it's not a normal existence. We know what it did to Tiger Woods. I mean, he, he broke his body. He's been involved in scandals. He's been to rehab at least twice that we know of. Uh, it's, it's not a normal life. And uh, I think Phil's done a good job surrounding himself with, with pretty normal people. You know, Amy's solid and, you know, Bones was a, was a trusty wingman for a long time. And, but he, he's an interesting guy. I mean, I don't want to spoil too much of what's in the book, but I'll tell you one story that's pretty amazing um, and still makes me laugh and also cringe. So after, after Amy gets breast cancer and, and you know, the, there's this huge outpouring of love and support for her and um, Tiger texts Phil and Tiger's father died of cancer as well. And he, he Tiger expresses his, his support and um, best wishes and says something to the effect that, you know, hopefully someday we'll cure cancer and it'll stop, you know, taking away the people we love and Phil thanks him and whatever, but he can't resist. And he writes, well, hopefully someday they'll find a cure for your hook. And it's just like, I mean, it's a funny line and it's great that he's like tweaking tiger uh, who's his lifelong nemesis, but it's not really the moment, you know, like Tiger's sending him a heartfelt text because Phil's wife is sick and, uh, but he just, he can't help himself. And, you know, we know the house always wins, right? Uh, Phil thinks he's smarter than the house and that's a problem. And so he loves to have the last word. He loves to, for people to think he's the smartest guy in the room. I think a lot of that informed why he, he was so brutally honest with me um, he wanted me to know that he was working three different angles and it was important for him that I knew that. And by virtue that all my readers would know that too. But, um, you know, he, he, I, he outsmarts himself regularly. And this is clearly one of those examples. So it's a fascinating question. Um, you know, Phil as a personality type, uh, I mean, someone who, who knows him very well, and even in a professional capacity, you know, described him to me as a textbook sociopath, you know, someone who doesn't necessarily feel feelings. And as you're saying, you're, you're doing this, this wrenching story about Tim Rosefort, and he's kind of making a joke about having won the PGA championship. And it's kind of like his text to Tiger. I mean, there's, it's fair to wonder, um, you know, does, does Phil process emotions the way most people do? seems like the answer is no, but, um, you know, that's why he's, it's, it's part of what makes him so, so fascinating because we can't quite figure him out. Well, we'll see what happens next, but I suspect that we're going to get Phil, uh, uh, the humility Phil, 
at the microphone doing what I think one of the best things that he does, which is fall on his sword, apologize, you know, maybe claim, claim victory, like you say, get back out on the golf course, get back to hitting impressive shots, maybe even win. If it has to be on the Champions Tour, it has to be on the Champions whatever it takes. He'll go back, hoist another trophy, thumbs up, sign a bunch of autographs, over tip, and 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 get back to being Phil. And hopefully for Phil, he hasn't lost all of his, you know, endorsement deals and hasn't lost, you know, the fan base that has propped him up for for decades. I'm sure he's lost, he's lost some, but you have to remember that that, that Twitter is such an echo chamber. And you know, I was, my daughter had a playoff basketball game last night, which they won onto the quarterfinals. Nice, and, nice, um, nice. you know, I was talking to some people there who they know what I do for a living. They're not really hardcore golf fans. And so one of them said, yeah, I heard something that you, you wrote a story about Phil. Uh, you know, my, my husband said there's some big controversy and I, I kind of, I said, well, it's, it's a long story. It's like, I don't even want to hear it. She's like, but I, you know, I've always liked Phil and he's always getting into controversies, right? Is this one different? I said, kind of, you know, he's, it's, it has more geopolitical overtones, but you know, not really, it's just another controversy. And she's like, well, that's just who he is. And you know, that, I think that a lot of golf fans they are not in the weeds on this stuff. They, they're not even really following it. Now is golf Twitter, you know, yes, we're all hot and bothered about it, but the people who love Phil, uh, I think a lot of them are still going to love him. And has, has, has he lost some fans? Yes. But uh, he's also, his brand has always been as like an iconoclast and a renegade, right? And this is just another example. So I, I think that, you know, it may not damage him the way we think it will. You know, I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter, like Phil's legacy is at stake. I mean, he's got six major championships. He has 45 PGA Tour victories. He's already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's been one of the most popular golfers the last quarter century. I don't think his legacy is at stake. I mean, this, this was, this was a, this was a, a gambit by him that may have, may have blown up or maybe it's worked. It depends on your point of view, but um, I think, I think Phil will survive this because he survives everything and he'll find a way to spin it and it'll be a fascinating high wire performance. Like it always is. And um, as you say, he'll get back on the golf course and he'll probably win the masters. So um, you know, what will Phil do next? I mean, it's been, it's been a cheesy ad campaign for a lot of our adult lives, but it's, it, it endures because it's, it's so relevant. You just, he's the ultimate wild card. He's utterly mercurial and unpredictable. And, uh, that's why, that's why he can be such a riveting performer. So, uh, I, I can't wait to see when he, you know, he's been up in the Yellowstone club in Montana skiing and, refreshing Twitter and I'll be as curious as everybody else what his next move is it, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating but um, I do think ultimately Phil's going to survive this uh, he's, he's just he just always marches forward well you, like I said you did him a favor because the one thing I don't think he could have survived is an actual deal with Saudi Arabia and Greg Norman you know uh, he can he can hit moving balls he can you know, undermined, you know, an eight-time major champion in Tim, Tom Watson, but you can't, you can't do that. And that more than anything is why at the end of the day, I think in, in his heart of hearts, whether Phil's going to admit it or, or his lawyer did admit it, he did him a favor. So Alan Shipnook, 
the truth matters. <laughs> you you delivered it. And uh, I can't wait, you know, beyond Phil, I can't wait to see what you do next. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun chat as always. And uh, oh, by the way, Matt Janella live from St. Andrews, Scotland. So it's, uh, it's you never know where this game's going to take us. What is it? What time is it over there? It's like it's after midnight, right? 1.33 a.m. And I'm ah. still buzzing off of a two-hour interview uh, with uh, the great-great-granddaughter, Sheila Walker, is a, is a descendant of old Tom Morris. She is still lives in the house he lived in overlooking the 18th green. She sat with us today, took us through her garden, sat with us for two hours, told incredible stories. She's 77 years old. Um, I've challenged her a putting contest at the Himalayas, which I have a feeling she's going to take me up on before we leave here. Just <laughs> one of the most delightful, impressive, articulate, amazing people I've ever sat down with. And um, don't tell my wife, but I have a crush on a 77-year-old woman. So <laughs> It's like the movie Harold and Maude. I love it. Well, I mean, let's just to, just to, I mean, that's all great stuff. When Phil Mickelson comes to St. Andrews to play the Open Championship this summer, she's probably going to stand on her balcony and clap for him. She probably loves Phil Mickelson. And I don't think this is going to change that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's great. I love that. Um, you know, we're sort of the, the two different poles of the golf world. I'm your... I was at Pebble Beach this morning. You're you're in uh, you're in St. Andrews. We, we got it covered for now. So I went Lego into Parks. the I went into the home of the home of golf. Like it is the it is actually talk about the bubbles and the bubbles. This is like this is where you drill down to, and it was it's incredible. So uh, with Thanks, that, um, thank you again, and uh, until next time, I'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Al. All right, see you parts. Put another log on the fire. Nobody here is getting tired. Settle down and settle in. The story here is about to begin. Circles starting to take its shape. Seats are filled in the tired sun. Plans and to escape. And everybody's got some glory. Just wait on to unfold. And everybody's got some story. Just wait on to be told. The place for that is here. smiles and all those tears let them go put another log on the fire nobody here is getting tired settle down and settle in the story here is about Told of war and gold, lovers lost in a lifetime's dreams that were sold. 
stop and listen at the wisdom in the air. Maybe you should pour your heart out. We ain't going anywhere. Find your mercy in the sounds. As the smoke gets pushed around in your soul. about 